if you're going to feel like a victim, which is normal and natural, and we all do it, do it for half an hour, just cry, vent, do whatever, and then pivot and become a navigator. Because that's what I did. I had no plans to write a book in 2020. But if I have no speaking engagement, I have nothing to do. I have all this time. I got the inspiration and I pivoted and I wrote my second book. That's what navigators do. Was I angry from time to time? You're darn right I was, and rightly so. But it does me no good to stay angry for more than half an hour. What's up, everybody? This is Matt here with the Husband in Law Podcast. This is where we share our stories of love, ex-love, marriage, ex-marriage, divorce, ex-divorce, and coming out of a closet that needed to be opened, and so much more. This podcast is for those who are looking to up their relationship game by understanding first yourself, then others, like your wife, your husband, and your wife's ex-husband on a whole new level. Welcome to the Husband in Law Podcast. Let's get this party started. We are very excited today to have Ilya Gregarius, and I practiced your last name, and I think I just said it wrong. <laughs> I mean, when we first moved to the United States when I was a kid, they couldn't pronounce Gregorius, so they either Gregorius. said Gregarius, yes. I didn't know what that meant at the time because I was a kid, or Gorgeous. You can use either one, and they're both perfectly fine. I remembered how to say it, so oh, I should have yeah. done I the introduction. should have let Steve say it. <laughs> Let, let's hear you say it, Steve. Ilya Gregorius, am I wrong? Perfect. All right. (laughs) So let's start there. Where are you from? I'm from Greece, 100%. Love it. And you just spent some time there. You just got back from Greece. So we have a home in Greece, right on the water. So spent seven weeks there. And I watched no television, no Netflix. My computer time was down by 50%. My phone (laughs) time was down by 75%. So people are like, what? Dr. Ilya, what did you do? Like it blows. You know what I did? I swam twice a day. I got bronzed, like totally tan, like in the old days. <laughs> I ate out every night and I was never alone. So this is really important. Like I have friends and family. That we go back 50 years plus. Like I was never alone for seven weeks. Yeah, wow. Sometimes double booked. Well, why did you come back? <laughs> yeah, I know. I am keep asking myself this because I have a wife and kids and family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, healthy food, healthy Mediterranean diet, like the healthiest, like fresh fish, like caught that day. You point to the fisherman and go, I want that piece right there. And had deep conversations. We laughed a lot and basically connected with people. And so my self-care and my batteries are completely full and I'm ready to take on the next year. That and my goal amazing. is to spend even more time in Greece and Europe with uh, our kids are now, we're empty nesters kind of. So we're in a different <laughs> phase in our lives and just enjoy life. And my message, as you'll hear over and over again, is do not procrastinate your happiness. That's the main message for today. Not when, when I get a raise, when I get this job, when the kids are married, when, 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 when. Forget all the wins. Life is too short, as we know, because of the pandemic. There are no guarantees we'll be alive next year or even next month. So live your best life now. Love, connect, eat, laugh, heal, forgive, be grateful. Boom. There you go. Awesome. That is a good message to share. Yeah, we're going to touch on some of those points because I know that our listeners hearing those things, they reach out to us about different parts of what you just touched on. And one of the things I think of specifically is that forgiveness part, but we'll get back to that. So yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. So first of all, we want to introduce how we know you because we actually know you personally from how many years ago? He just he was just saying like... It had to have been 10, 10 years ago. This is when yeah. we lived in Colorado Springs. Penny was... Okay, two years old, so maybe nine years ago. At least. Well, she was littler than that when we lived in Colorado. Oh, right. She was two when we got divorced. Okay, 11 years ago. We do this a lot of trying to figure out the timeline. And I just sit here in the middle going, 
I don't know, guys. I wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) But Elia, you were my counselor for an extended period of time while we lived in Colorado Springs. Yeah. And I remember coaching you guys. Yes, I remember that. I would drive up to Broomsfield, if I'm not mistaken, near Boulder. Superior, close enough. Superior, Superior. all right. (laughs) And uh, I went up to see you twice a month for an hour at a time. And uh, are you still there? I wouldn't drive two hours myself to see myself. That gives you an idea. (laughs) (laughs) I had been referred to you when I, in fact, I can't even think of who it was. I think it may have been through one of the... It doesn't matter. That's not that important. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yes. So... But yeah, we spent many a time sitting and chatting. And one of the reasons when I found you again and saw what you're doing and all those things... I know the impact that you had on mine and Steve's relationship and helped us to feel that we like gave us some hope and that we were doing things right and that, you know, and guiding us to do things in a better way. And so it's cool to see where you were then and now the impact you're having now. And we know personally the good you're doing because we experienced that in our own lives. So we appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I always felt very loved when. I chatted with you. <laughs> so let me get this straight. So you know what? I, I've come out of the closet and I said, like, my true religion is love. Love is yes. my religion. Like, I proclaim that no matter what, like, whether I'm in a church building or if I'm out in nature or whatever, like, truly in the end, that is the only true religion, right? Love is the religion. All the other stuff is like technicalities and uh, silliness, actually, in a lot of ways. We are with well, you 100%. And I, and I always felt that in my sessions with you. I know we won't go into detail of a yeah, 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 bunch yeah, of. But- what took place because there? But. In the end, it's all about love, self-love, yep. and self-care is a big part of that. Self-forgiveness. I know we brought this up a little bit before. That there's no greater act of self-compassion than actually forgiving ourselves. And anyway, Matt, you were going to say something. So I was ahead. just going to say. So Jessica alluded to the fact that she also came up and saw you. Is that correct? Just a couple times when I okay. like, yeah. yeah if Steve were, wanted me there, then I came. They were mostly one-on-one sessions. Okay. Just yeah. me and Elia, but just yeah, yeah. to join for a few. Like, I'd usually drive up with them a lot of the time, and we'd make a day of it. We'd go do something fun up by Boulder or wherever, and it was awesome. Awesome. And I don't do a lot of coaching anymore, like one-on-one, because I've got so many other projects that I want to share with you guys, exciting yeah. projects that help families and help individuals. So Yeah, so tell us a little bit about how you transitioned from what you were doing when we knew you to where you are now. So initially, you know, my first career, first half of my career, I was a clinical psychologist in private practice. Loved it for the most part, 90% of the time. The last couple of years, I got totally burned out and got physically sick and I exited the psychology field. And then I started doing coaching and corporate and executive and corporate coaching. I did some life coaching too. I think when I saw you guys were still doing some life coaching and just transitioned my seizure. Like I will never get burned out again. That will never happen. I feel like I'm healthier and more alive, like physically, mentally, spiritually, and uh, emotionally than I was 15 years ago when I had my major crisis. And I wrote a book about five years ago called Seven Paths to Lasting Happiness. It really resonated with the folks and became a number one bestseller. And that really has become my business card. Like I literally don't have business cards anymore. Like people ask me all the time, I'm like, sorry, I don't have that. Buy my book. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the book has been translated into five languages. So I began to speak not only within the United States, like across the country, but really internationally. And right before the pandemic, like later that year, I spoke in Paris and Rome and London and Athens. And there were so many more speaking engagements. Of course, everything 
got the kibosh because of the COVID restrictions of travel, but they're opening up again. But here's the funny thing. In the middle of the pandemic, I kind of downloaded, like seriously, like, and I call it download, but people can say, you know, it's important for us to listen, right? To listen to that still small voice. And whatever people call that, if you call it the spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, your intuition or your inner wisdom, whatever you call that voice, listen to it. And then not only listen to it, but apply what you hear. So on March 15th of 2020, last year, which is beware the age of March, like Julius Caesar, right? <laughs> I downloaded, Ilya, you need to get a book out about the pandemic because there's a tsunami like a of, of a mental health crisis coming across the globe. And people need to have a book on how to navigate these challenges that we're facing. And you need to get out in 45 days. That was the, the clincher. Uh. That's... And I'm like, seriously, God, I'm like, because my first book took four years to write. <laughs> so going from that to 45 days is like insane. So I called my best friend and writing partner. And I'm like, I'm going to start writing this book tomorrow. Are you in or are you out? And he said, I'm in. And we started writing. And you guys, we got it out in 45 days, the ebook, and like maybe 60 days for the actual book. That's amazing. And, yeah. And the wow. rest is history because even though, you know, the speaking engagements got canceled last year, I probably spoke on this little camera here on Zoom probably in front of 40 to 50,000 people across the globe. Yeah. That's awesome. And half of them were in India, interestingly enough. Like I have four webinars in India and I, I continue to expand in India, but very interesting. So the point of life is to be flexible and adaptable. And uh, which is one of the seven keys of navigating a crisis, which is the second book after self-care and listening, you know, with that third year. But I think flexibility is huge, you guys. Yes. And yeah. in our relationships, in our careers, both personally and professionally, and the one thing that I want to share with you is this, that we call that the oak tree or the palm tree story. So the oak tree, as you all know, is this massive, beautiful, majestic, just gorgeous tree, right? Tall, matte, powerful, been around for 100 years. But in the middle of the storm, if there's enough saturation on the ground and enough rain, what happens to oak trees? They come crashing down on cars, homes, people, etc. I mean, this happens in every hurricane. On the flip side, the palm tree, which is kind of cute, you know, tall and kind of cute up, you know, we all like, like palm trees. At the peak of the storm, and now I want you to think about the, the storms of life. At the peak of the storm, peak of the hurricane or the cyclone, it bends, it bends, it bends. Sometimes it bends parallel to the ground, like flat. But when the storm passes, the palm tree rises up again and survives the storm. And not only that, it's even stronger because its roots, it had to dig down even deeper and hold on for dear life to withstand the winds, right? So the call to action, of course, is in life, be a palm tree, don't be an oak tree. So as I've shared this message really around the world, people have said, Dr. Ilya, that's a cute message. We'll remember that. Palm tree, don't be an oak tree. But what does an oak tree sound like or look like in human form? Which I think is a great question. Yeah. So an oak tree as a human being sounds like this. Well, this is the way that I've done things for the last 40 years. I'm not going to change now. This is who I am, right? That's an oak tree mentality. And that includes in business, like, well, this is how we've done things. Well, guess what? We're in a completely different world now business-wise. And I'm not even talking about the new normal. I'm talking about the next normal, right? So if we're not flexible and adaptable, we're going to pay a huge price. And I mean, you know, I was a former athlete. I'm like a sports fanatic. The other analogy that may be easier for people to grasp is think about professional athletes, football, baseball, soccer, basketball, whatever. These are the elite, the best physique. They get paid millions of dollars just to play a game, right? These are the top mm -hmm. professional athletes. Before the game starts, they're out there in the field or on the court. And what are they doing for half an hour? This is before their game starts. Why are they out there? What are they doing when they're out there? They stretch. 
they're stretching. Why are these people stretching when they're perfect physique? They're, they're like the physical specimens, the best we have to, that humanity has to offer. Why are these people stretching? Because if they don't stretch, what might happen to them when they play the game? They pull a hamstring or even worse, right? Yeah. So you and I are now in the game of life or even in the Super Bowl of life. We have one life to live. If we're not flexible and adaptable, we're going to break. And you see people breaking all the time, like physically, emotionally, and mentally, and spiritually, because they refuse to change. Mm -hmm. And they're afraid of change. So I just want to differentiate. There's a big difference between danger and fear. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And this is not a political statement. That's factual. Like this is the scientist in me. If somebody coughs in your face and you don't know them, you're potentially in danger. Correct? Potentially. Fear, on the other hand, is not your friend. Like you don't want to make life decisions, relationship decisions, family decisions, business decisions based on fear, because you're going to pay a big price for that. So that's kind of like my opening statement. Now you guys can go ahead. We <laughs> <laughs> like it. Yeah, I wanted to do a standing ovation here. Like <laughs> that was awesome. I can drop the mic in a minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's not true, though. Like, I will tell you this, that I wrote both of these books, not as a PhD. I wrote it both from my heart. Yeah. And I speak and I write the way that I'm talking to you right now, like so that anybody can understand. And so regardless of where we are in society, what the pandemic has actually unveiled is we have multiple crises. The pandemic is only one of them. The mental health crisis, you guys, where depression, anxiety, stress, post-traumatic stress disorder is at an all-time high. According to the UN, and this goes back to last year, I don't even know the last numbers, we have 2 billion people suffering from those things. Mind you, these are people that did not have pre-existing conditions, meaning that it's new. Mm -hmm. Loneliness and isolation has contributed to the highest suicide rate, drug use, and so on. So people are like tired, they're scared, they're lonely, and they're struggling. And you add that into that, the financial crisis and billions of people feeling financially insecure. Yeah. How am I going to provide for myself, for my family and my loved ones? And then you throw in the social, political strife and so on. So we're dealing with like four multiple crises globally. And I'm not talking about people's personal crisis right now, like yeah. having a sick child or having to take care of a parent that has Alzheimer's or dementia or their own financial issues or whatever. We're resilient human beings. We can handle one or two crises. We can handle four or five at the same time, especially when there's no end in sight. And yeah. this whole feeling out of control is not easy for us. Yeah. So that's why I wrote those books from my heart. Like if you're 18 years old, you're going to get something out of it. And if you're 85, you're still going to get something out of it. That's wonderful. So I have a question in talking about people who are in this emotional, mental crisis state where we're at. Many of us are there right now. And I think of our audience and our listeners of many of them feel that because they're going through something hard, whether it's a faith crisis or dealing with the fact that they're on the verge of divorce or losing this relationship that they thought they would have. What's a basic step? Where's the first place that you recommend people start in dealing with that crisis mode when they're feeling that, when they're feeling that fear? Where do you recommend people start? So that's a great question. And what we have discovered in writing the second book is that human beings fall into four categories into how they respond to other stress, challenges, or crises. So the first response is what we call the victim or the victim personality. And the victim is like, why is this happening to me? As if it's only happening to them and not 7 billion other people. So the victim is, it's all about poor me and depression and sadness. It's all about me, right? Very egocentric. That's one personality type. The second one is the critic. 
Now, the critic, of course, will criticize everything and everyone. So it, this is a silly example, but just to, just to make a point. Ilya, you should wear a mask when you go outside. Well, that's stupid. Okay, Ilya, never wear a mask when you go outside. What are you trying to do, kill me? <laughs> like, no matter which way you go, they'll criticize everything. It doesn't matter what people, you know. They're into criticism, anger, and frustration. Now we get to the third personality type, which we like to call the bystander. Now, the bystander, mind you, a good person, but think of it as someone with, like the deer with the headlights look. They are so overwhelmed by the constant changes that are taking place, whether it's from the federal, state, or local governments, or just things that are happening in our society, that they're completely frozen in fear, so they don't do anything. And what all three of these personality types have in common is this. None of them move the needle forward towards some kind of a positive resolution, a positive outcome. Like there's no solution base. All three of them, either I feel bad for myself, I'm angry all the time, or I'm just frozen in fear. Now we get to the fourth personality time, which we like to call the navigator, which was obviously the premise of the book too. And what does the navigator do? The navigator begins with practicing great self-care. And in the book, I created what I call a personal health assessment, which I'd be more than willing to give to you, like free PDF, and you can share with your audience. 20 questions, you know, five questions for your physical, then five for your emotional, mental, and spiritual health. And you get this information and you have an idea of what areas I'm doing well, some areas that I'm doing so-and-so, and what areas that I'm really struggling with. And it's almost like taking your pulse, like physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. And that's a great beginning because navigators practice great self-care. Like they fill up their batteries. And then they practice awareness, like they listen to that still small voice that we talked about before, and they take action based on that. And they are flexible and adaptable. And they do prepare that, you know, most of us have dealt with crises in the past, so we do know how to deal with some of them. It's not like we've never been through a crisis before. And then they take initiative, which for me, in the end, it doesn't matter what we know in life. What matters, what do we do with what we know? Like, really? In both of those books, even the one, the happiness book that became number one bestseller, People that have known me and our friends and so on are like, Ilya, it's not like you said something that Aristotle didn't say 2,500 years ago. Like what's happiness? Self-love, gratitude, forgiveness, you know, relationships, healthy and so on, kindness. And But what we love about your books is at the end of every chapter, you have, you know, a couple of points for the reader to consider, like to meditate on, to think about, a couple of questions to answer. But your best part of your books of every chapter is to take action. So we all know self-forgiveness is important. Most people don't know how to do it. And I kind of take them, this is how you do it, step by step by step. It's in the action that the magic happens. So I believe that happiness is a choice, but it's also a skill set. In other words, we have to do something in order to find that. And then the last couple of things, of course, navigators always have a positive attitude, meaning that they believe that, look, I know humanity has gotten a beating the last year and a half, two years. We've gotten our butts kicked, definitely. And we may be down on one knee, but this is not the end of humanity. We will overcome this and we will get better as a result of that. And ultimately, they provide service and kindness to those around them just because they're in a better place. And my experience has been that happy people by nature help others just because their batteries are full. On the flip side, when we do perform acts of service, I think something happens inside of us innately that makes us feel better. I mean, that's just human nature. Now, the one thing that I want to, this is the most important thing, actually, about these four personality types is that they, and this is my psychologist had now on, they all exist within this human being. In other words, it's not like, well, I'm the navigator and you're the critic and you're the, it's not like that. We all have all of those. So what does that look like? I will tell you that in March of 2020, I guess, 
when the first shutdown happened to the economy, within one week, every speaking engagement that I had, you guys across the globe got canceled within one week, email after email. I was, so was I the bystander? I was looking at my computer and I was stunned. It's like, what, what am I going to do now? Like I was frozen in fear. And did I feel like a victim? Like, man, why is this happening to me? Like I was supposed to speak in Barcelona in October. I actually did it, but it was on Zoom. It's not the same thing as being in Barcelona. (laughs) But I mean, I felt like a victim, like poor me, like as if it's only happening. I'm sure every other speaker got other things. And have I been angry at times from certain administrations and certain, you know, things that people, uh, certain things that happen politically, you're done right at it. But if I was mad at the government for six months, who am I robbing happiness from them or me? Yourself. So what's the point here? If you're going to feel like a victim, which is normal and natural, and we all do it, do it for half an hour, just cry, vent, do whatever, and then pivot and become a navigator. Because that's what I did. I had no plans to write a book in 2020, but if I have no speaking engagement, I have nothing to do. I have all this time. I got the inspiration. You need to get a book out. And I pivoted and I wrote my second book. That's what navigators do. Was I angry from time to time? You're darn right. I was, and rightly so. But it does me no good to stay angry for more than half an hour. Let me get out of my system. Let me vent, whatever. And even, even if I'm frozen in fear, it's, it's happened to all of us. We get a phone call or an email and some bad news and we're just frozen. Like we don't know what to do. It's normal, but don't stay there. That's the whole point. Become a navigator and live your life that way and live it fully and completely with love and kindness for others and kindness for oneself and live your best life now. Don't wait, don't procrastinate. So when you ask me what happens, you have to identify where do I play most of the time? Like I'm a navigator like 85% of the time. And I would say 5% the other three. That's where I feel like I am. But I tend to navigate more like 85% of my life is navigation mode. And I've done it for a long time. So it becomes easy to me. But I've had this discussion with my own kids, you know, and with my own extended family. So people are starting to say, you know, dad, I think I may be 40% critic and maybe 20% victim and then 20% navigator and then, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And I'm like, well, the the goal, honey, is for you to slowly begin to navigate more and more in your life and take initiative and action. So then being a navigator becomes your number two and then eventually becomes your number one. So the percentages shift and change as you consciously now and mindfully begin to choose your responses in life to whatever challenges there are. It's awesome. So I would ask all three of you actually to do that in your own time afterwards and to like send me like, and this is not a test, obviously, just be honest with, with ourselves to say, Really, when I'm facing a challenge, what's my first go-to? Do I play the victim? Am I a critic? Am I a bystander because I'm frozen in fear? Or do I really navigate fairly quickly and get into a solution-based mode? Yeah, I was, Steve, I feel like you want to say something. I was so just I, asking myself, how long do I stay in victim mode? And I'm thinking, sheesh, more than a half an hour <laughs> a lot of the time. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's interesting to think about. Let's say you spend it for two days, like grouchy for two days in victim mode. The goal then would be, Next time there's a challenge to do it for only one day. Right. And the goal after that is to do it until tonight and not overnight, like and worry about all night. And then at some point to drop it down to under an hour. I mean, to me, that's my goal. I don't want to stay mad for like full three hours. I mean, I'm just driving myself my unhappiness. Sometimes you're mad because you're it's legitimate too sometimes. Yeah. Like there's such thing as righteous anger, as we talk about. But I don't want to stay there. That's not healthy for me. I want to navigate and say, okay, what are you going to do about it? And I can't help but think back to when... 11 years ago, when we were meeting, what percentage of those things was I then? Jessica, what percentage of those things were you? And then very shortly after that time frame, when we moved to Oklahoma, and that's when Jessica and I split and divorced, and I came out. And 
I mean, I'm thinking of you, Jessica, particularly, and how quickly you switched from, you know, you gave yourself that half an hour to be a victim, obviously, relative, a relative half an hour. (laughs) And then you very much chose to become a navigator and how to move forward in and help me move forward and what our lives are going to look like for us individually, for us together and as co-parents and for our daughter. And I mean, that played a big role in the success that we experience in our relationships here of choosing to spend our time navigating as opposed to playing victims or being upset. And I didn't use the right terminology for your second one there. But. Well, I didn't, I didn't even know those or that things existed like 11 years ago or so I would have yeah. used them. Like, but now it's so crystal clear to me how we fit into those roles. And like I said, we all play them. We just want to minimize the first three and then maximize the last one. Yeah. And I love like thinking of it that way in those four different roles. Like that's such a great tool to have a name for where you're at and what you're feeling and then an outcome of where you want to go to see, okay, I'm, I'm in this mindset right now and that's okay. I need to feel this. I need to understand it. And my goal is to move out of it, to move on to right. this next step. I know like <laughs> I've been, people will be like, well, it doesn't matter if you get there faster. You don't need to get out of the feelings faster because my whole thing is I want you to be able to move through the feelings as quickly as possible. Like feel those feelings. I think it's important to understand them and to honor them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because we're human beings. There's nothing wrong with feeling like a victim. My point is don't stay stuck. Yep. That's the message, right? I say half an hour. If for somebody it's two hours, whatever. I say what works for me. I don't want to be stuck for more than half an hour. Yeah. Sometimes it may last longer depending on the situation. But I don't want to be like stuck like in molasses being angry or frozen in fear or being a victim. You work through it. Just like you said, Jessica, you just, you know, you work through it at your pace. But with the whole mindset, like I want to pivot and become a navigator. And because I know when I get to that point, my life will be happier. Mm-hmm. So is it safe to say that ultimately we want to adjust and go through these and ultimately become that navigator? I think you want to have that be the, the major percentage of how you live your life and how you approach life. The numbers don't really matter. It's not a scientific thing, but I want to be navigator mode the majority of my life because I'm happier there. Mm-hmm. I'm more yeah. productive. I'm more connected. You know, I don't have those emotions that I feel. Not that there's, there's nothing wrong with anger. Anger is a human emotion. I just don't want to be stuck there. And I, I hope that people understand that. I'm not telling anybody not to be angry. I'm saying become aware. Because without self-awareness, we're not going to change, right? Become aware. What percentage are you spending in these different modes? And if you're happy with them, then keep doing it. If you want to make some adjustment, then make those adjustments so you can navigate more consistently how you live your life, navigate your relationships. and. What I have found, and again, this is really recent. I've, I've been just, this whole year has been a year of personal development and growth, unlike any other for me, because that's one of the blessings of having a pandemic that slowed things down, because I've always been so busy in my life. I've never had the time or made the time to invest in that. And so what I've discovered is, in our relationship specifically, is to begin to practice hot, H-O-T, hot communication, meaning honest, open, and transparent, but to do it from a place of love. Because you can be open, honest, and transparent and clobber somebody with a two-by-four. In the name of honesty, openness, and transparency, you're an idiot. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. But, but do it from a place of love, and that is so empowering. I can't tell you how empowering that is. So that was one of my, of this year's downloads that I got. And stay close to the spirit, like stay close to that voice. Speak your truth, like hot community, like speak your truth with a capital T, but do it from a place of love, not from a place of anger. Because your message gets diluted. People focus on your anger and the worst versus focusing on 
where you're coming from. And if you practice that, that's a very powerful combination. And I know this isn't a spiritual show, but who practiced that, like spoke the truth and from a place of love, right? And listened and was connected to the spirit was Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, that's, and other great spiritual leaders. I mean, he's not the only one, but I'm saying if you want to emulate somebody that you admire, Mm-hmm. like perhaps Jesus Christ, then he practiced those things. He was very attuned to the spirit and he always spoke the truth and he did it from a place of love. And that's a very powerful combination. So in applying this, like I'm thinking to our listeners and to like us, I think we get asked so often, well, how do you guys have this relationship? And it's done exactly how you're saying is that we communicate in the way that you're talking about with love. We have hard conversations all the time that people are like, how are you talking about this? I mean, the three of us sit down and talk about things and hash things out, but it's done out of love. And we know that, like we've communicated that. I mean, I feel like that love has to be communicated. And that's such a key thing is that we communicate with love instead of that anger or bitterness or fear, whatever it was we're feeling, we do it in love. And that's what makes it so that we can have the hard conversations around raising our daughter together in very different lifestyles and but also coming back to the main values that we hope for her and the things we want for her. What are you going to say, Matt? I was just going to say, and within this relationship, that love and respect is reciprocated through each one of us. And so we respect each other's thoughts and feelings. And I don't think that's ever been lost on any of the three of us is even when there are hard things to navigate. Yeah. We get that. Even when Jessica's pissed us, Steve, for being late again. <laughs> There's going to be forgiveness. About. <laughs> <laughs> but in just sharing that, because I know that is a question we get asked so often, but how do you have this relationship? And it's done exactly how you just said. So if you're looking for that, try to show love for that other person and communicate with love, with genuine love. People feel that. They feel that when you're communicating with love. I really do like the hot communication. Yeah. The That's honest, awesome. open, transparent communication. That's awesome. And if you think about it, I mean, even the four personality types that we talked about before, I mean, when we have those hot conversations, right, which are sometimes difficult conversations to have, if I'm a navigator, then I come from a place of love. If I'm the victim mode in that conversation, there's a whole different energy going around. And That's obviously, true. if I'm you know, the critic, then I'm all into attack mode and, and blaming and criticizing somebody else, right? Right. So let's be mindful when we're about to have this conversation, who shows up? Is it Ilya the victim or Ilya the navigator? Who's your audience? Yep. Right. I mean, if we want to have this pivotal conversation, especially as it relates to our families, right? But believe me, this applies actually in the business world too, in the mm-hmm. organizational world as well. Like, and when, because I do a lot of coaching with leaders and the senior leaders too, specifically, it's like, how are you going to show up? How will you show up? And I know you're mad. I know you feel disappointed and all that, but how will you show up when you talk to your folks? And what impact do you want to have? And think about the outcome. You can come in as a critic, guns blazing, and maybe you feel like they deserve it. But what will the outcome be at the end when we are done and you walk out? So one of the things this last week, we had the opportunity to listen to Tony Robbins speak. The man was standing in front of me (laughs) one foot away and he's a giant. And one of the things that I took out of that was the energy that you come into a conversation with as a leader, the energy that you come into that conversation with is the energy that you're going to get back. So if you come in to, like you're saying, if you come into the conversation with this high energy or low energy, that's the energy that you're going to be reciprocated from right. those who you're speaking with. And exactly. so and anytime you're, you're talking with any type of relationship, identify what, what that 
energy is. I mean, what you guys have here is so beautiful. And I just hope it gets emulated across the board because you can be a wonderful example of what it looks like when love wins out Mm -hmm. and you have to be flexible. I mean, really to navigate through your own divorce. I mean, flexibility is key because, and yet here you are together. You know, I'm the happiness doctor. So for me to see this makes me so happy to see you guys be like this, but you know that you're the exception to the rule. Right. It's interesting in that, like, (laughs) Steve often will be like, why are we sharing this? Like, why are we posting this on social media? Like just random things that we do every day that to us are normal. And it's exactly what you said, because this isn't the normal, because we have a relationship that isn't the normal. And we take that for granted. We forget that this isn't normal. Um, It's when Jessica like wants me to post pictures of what you're doing right now. And I'm like, why? Why does anyone want to see this? And she's like, because it's not normal for people. (laughs) (laughs) It's become our normal. And and we do hope that other people learn that when you fill your life with love, you get more of that happiness. And you were talking, I can't remember at, at one point you were talking about people who are in the navigator realm, when you're in that state, you then have a desire to serve people and to reach out. And then you have more happiness. And it just goes in this cycle. I was thinking about that. I was like, it really is a cycle of, you know, you get to share more and give more because you're happy. And, you know, the navigator obviously begins with self-care because you have to fill up your batteries first, but ends up with being of service and being kind. On that self-care note, how does one identify that they need self-care and they need those batteries charged? Because a lot of times, for example, myself, I lose myself in my work and I don't check where my battery level is. So how do I check that battery level? No, you're right. That's why I created the personal health assessment, which now has been shared with like physicians because I do like self-care for healthcare, Mm -hmm. like physicians, nurses, hospital administration, all these people on the front lines of the pandemic who burned out and suffer from PTSD. I've spoken in front of those groups and they've taken this personal health assessment now for themselves and for their patients. I mean, I can read some questions. It literally takes two minutes to take this assessment. It will give you so much information. And I take this assessment myself on the first of every month. Every month I do this. That was going to be my next question. How often should I be taking this assessment? I personally do it on the first of every month just because that's my habit now. It's just to see again. And your choices are like, I'm doing excellence number five. One is poor, three sometimes. Can we hear some of these questions? questions like four and five, you're doing really good. So pat yourself on the back. If you score a three, it means you're doing it sometimes, which is normal in human nature, I think. But there's some room for improvement. However, if you score a one or a two, that's a red flag. Because anything you score a one or a two in these questions takes away from your health and from your happiness. So we can go through it real quick if you want to just, but I'll, I'll send the PDF to you guys as well afterwards. Okay, that'd awesome. be great. Yeah, I'm excited. This is a great tool for our audience. Right. Physical health, one through five. Five is like I'm hitting a home run, full energetic. Three, I'm doing okay. One, I can't even get out of bed. Caffeine or no caffeine? (laughs) (laughs) Caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) How rested do you feel when you wake up in the morning? You know, this is important because the pandemic has actually shattered people's sleeping habits. Mm. So even, first of all, people are not sleeping as long, but even if they are, it's interrupted. It's not the restful sleep. And you, we know how important sleep is in the overall health, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. You know, how health is your diet? Can I brag a little bit? Because this is really important. Yeah. Two days ago, I hit my premarital weight, which is a goal that I've had. I've been married for 30 years and I'm back to where I was 30 years. Not that I was ever overweight or anything, yeah. but I was always struggling with that five or 10 extra pounds. And now I'm at where I was when I was a young man. 
Wow. Absolutely. And this has been a direct result of the pandemic. I'm eating healthier. I'm eating less portions. The next one, of course, is what's your level of daily activity and exercise? A lot of it is due to that. Before the pandemic, I used to walk like three days a week for an hour, like getting three miles in because I got white hair and I'm getting old. It's something that I had to do. But because of my own stress level increased, like from April of 2020, writing the book and being in the middle of that, I started to walk every single day, every day, no matter what, one hour every day. And now I do it because I want to do it. And it's a non-negotiable for me. I don't go to the gym. I don't do anything like that. But I walk one hour in the combination of my diet and that. And like I said, I'm healthier than I've ever been. But I have to put in the work. It's not magic. Like I walk every day. So, uh, and then how well do you function without escaping? And meaning escaping in all kinds of things. So, so that's the physical assessment. So you score those five, you get a, a score, you write the score down. Let's go mental health. How's your ability to maintain a positive attitude? Remember, navigators always start with like, things are going to work out in the end. I know I'm getting my butt kicked right now, but in the end, we're going to work things out. How's your ability to stay focused right now? You guys, that's probably my lowest score. Like I probably get a two there, <laughs> honestly. I kind of struggle with that. Like, because when you're really stressed, your ability to focus on things gets compromised. So I may do something like 80% and then something else happens. I start something else and I'm like, come back. Like, anyway, I struggle with that personally, but anyway. A little ADD, I think. I don't know. <laughs> How good are you at keeping life's events in perspective? Again, these two shall pass. That's my perspective. And this two is not the pandemics. Whatever crisis or challenge we're facing right now, this two shall pass. It's not going to last forever. It might feel that way right now, but let's keep the things in perspective. How grateful do you feel right now? Obviously, we all know that, that there's no way somebody can be grateful and depressed at the same time physiologically. Like you can have the chemicals that are released in our brains when we are in a state of gratitude cannot allowing us to be depressed. So gratitude is huge. And the last one is how often are you hearing other people's opinions and perspectives, especially when they're different than your own. And we know that we live in a society that nobody's listening to anybody else. The left screams, the right screams louder, the left screams louder, they go back and forth. Nobody's listening. And so to be open-minded, remember your mind is like a parachute, right? It, it only works when it's open. So that's the mindset. Emotional health, how well do you practice self-compassion and self-forgiveness? Huge. No greater gift can you give to yourself than to forgive yourself. And there's a process that we can take people through. How well are you at maintaining life-work balance? That's a question that my partner and I are actually going to change. I don't believe that there's a real life-work balance 50-50. I think that's very elusive. I think what we're talking about is how well do you maintain life-work integration? Like, how do you integrate your work with your personal life and back and forth? I think that's a much more accurate question. So I think that's something that we're going to change in our assessment. Integration rather than balance. I like it. Yeah. Because nobody's, I'm totally balanced between my work and my life. Okay, that's not <laughs> even real. That's not, that's, how well are you able to maintain flexibility under stress? And we talked about the, you know, be flexible like a palm tree. How much humor, laughter, and playfulness are part of your daily life on a daily basis? Are we laughing? Are we playful? Are we lighthearted? And then finally, how healthy are your relationships? Because you can practice all the self-care in the world, but if you surround yourself with toxic people, it's very hard to be happy. And I personally made a commitment back in 2005. I don't want any more toxic relationships in my life. And I don't have any. And people said, are you serious? That can't possibly be. I'm like, oh, it is. <laughs> I have no toxic relationships. And well, they're like, well, how do you do that? I'm like, simple. Matt, if I treat you with love, kindness, and respect, I expect you to treat me with love, kindness, and respect in return. Fair enough? That's fair. 
Now, the required means that I have to show up that way. In other words, I can be a jerk to you and say, well, man, why are you, you know, and expect you to be loving, kind, and respectful to me? So what do I control? I control how I show up. If I'm loving, kind, and respectful to all three of you, then I expect all three of you to be the same with me. And if you're not, I'm going to call you out on it. Doing what? Practicing hot communication. Exactly. So therefore, I don't have any toxic relationships in my life. They're gone. Because I, I will call them out just like that. And I'm like, Steve, did I step on your toe? Like, did I offend you somehow? Have I done something I need to, you know, maybe I did and I don't know about it. No, 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 you've been good. So you're saying I've been loving, kind, and respectful to you? Yes, yes. Well, then you need to treat me the same way or else so you're out. I'm going to cut you out of my life. Simple, easy, direct, honest, and fair. Yeah. And then we go to the spiritual health. And of course, the spiritual, it's not necessarily religious because, you know, the books and my, the assessments for everybody, but how strong is your belief in a positive outcome? I think faithful people believe that things work out in the end. How close do you feel to God or your higher power? Okay. How much do you pray, meditate, or practice mindfulness? Because I do believe that all those things contribute. How often do you practice kindness or do acts of service towards others, like we talked about? And finally, how well do you know and live your purpose in life? Because people that are purpose-driven and know their purpose tend to be happier. So those are the 20 questions. I mean, I took five minutes to explain that, but if you took them, it takes two seconds. You'll get an assessment and you'll know exactly where you're at and what areas you need to focus on. Remember, any scores that are ones or twos are red flags, you guys. That's awesome. Threes are normal. Like threes to me, I'm like, I have threes. I mean, you know, I do things sometimes, not all the time. And fives are almost impossible. Like you got, unless you're perfect. There are very few questions you can say that's a five. Like if somebody scores fives up and down, that's a false positive. They're not being real. Yeah. <laughs> if their score is too sure. high, I've already, I made that on purpose. If they score too high, then that's a false positive. They're not being honest to themselves. Four is what we want to get. Like there's one five. Do you know your purpose in life? Yes. I know my, what my purpose in life all the time. That's a five. That's an easy one. But the rest of them are not. So that's the assessment. And it's been used by thousands of people since the book came out. Thousands of organizations, people in the organization are using it. That's awesome. It's so easy, you guys. Awesome. We're excited to share that with our audience. Super excited. Do you guys have any other questions? I don't think so. I don't think so. This was great. Yeah. We would love for you to tell our audience where they can find you real quick. How can they connect with you? Yeah, DrEliaGregoris.com or on LinkedIn and Instagram. But basically my website or LinkedIn is the two main ones. And the couple of things, the exciting things that I'm working on right now, so I want to tell you is this month we're filming the first season of our reality TV show called The Kindness Givers, which is finding individuals and organizations that have overcome the odds, if you will, in, but are now doing great things to make this world a better place. So it's positive content TV. That's great. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're filming all 10 episodes, so this month is going to be crazy, but so excited to finally get to this point, you know, after the pandemic. And we're very excited. Like, to, And then the audience, of course, gets to see these great organizations and people, and they can either donate their time or their talents and resources or even money to support an organization that resonates with them. So it's showcasing the organizations. It's great for us, obviously. And so the name was The Kindness Givers? The Kindness Givers. Yeah, The Kindness Givers, like people that give kindness. Yes, awesome. The Kindness Givers. So that's one that's come to fruition. It's been a long haul to get to this point. And when is that coming out? Well, we're filming the month of October uh-huh. and we're doing all the editing November and December. So I think by the end of this year, we'll have the full season, 10 episodes. And then the next step is, of course, to take it to the big uh, networks and streaming services and so on. And 
initially we were just going to do the pilot and try to, to sell it, but we figured out a way to get the whole season done, which is much easier because content is king. Yeah. Content is king. It's true. This is my second reality TV show, but it's the first that, that's mine, like that I, that's my heart and soul is in it with my partner. So we're very excited about this because there's so many organizations doing such great things during the pandemic, next, you know, all over the world. And a lot of these people don't get seen in the light of day. You know, nobody really knows the good work that they're doing. So we want to showcase that. It's amazing. Well, that's wonderful. Yep. We're excited. So that's one thing. And then the last thing, which is the biggest thing, starting in January, is there's an organization called familiesareforever.com. And we're building the website right now. And it's a huge movement to strengthen families of all types, like the nuclear family, blended family, straight, gay, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, like all kinds of families throughout the globe. Think about as Facebook for families. But safe, though, not out there where people can make nasty comments and all that stuff like you and your family and your extended family have this place where you can share your successes and your wins and you can learn. We're going to bring in experts every week to speak about, you know, different ways that families can be strengthened. There's a family tree. You've got a family calendar. You got like all kinds of like wonderful things. And we've been working this for a year and we guys are so close to launching it. So that's my two big things for 2022. That's awesome. So. So many great resources. Thank you so much for sharing those. We'll put links in the show notes to all of your information so that people can go find you and a link to the evaluation that you, the assessment that you shared with us. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Anything else? Great to reconnect with you after all these years. Thank you. Well, let's stay connected. Not just like once. No, I hope after this we stay connected. I don't know if I have everybody's email and all that stuff. We'd love to connect with you guys again. Likewise. Let's make it happen. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ilya. Thank you. We really hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did. It was such a pleasure to be able to connect with Elia again. He is such a great man and is doing such great work helping people find happiness. I really loved when he talked about navigators and victims and the four different categories that we fall into. And if you want that assessment that he offered, it is in the show notes. Everything that he has to offer and if you want to connect with him is in the show notes. The links are all there for you. Go check it out. Have a great week and we will be back next week. See you then. All right, you guys, thanks for listening. Here at Husband in Law and The Bold Logic, we believe that there are six values that can really make your relationship amazing and take it to the next level. Those values are love, appreciation, acceptance, kindness, respect, and understanding. Today, I wanted to give you guys a challenge for appreciation. We want you guys to go and let somebody know that they're appreciated today. That can be as simple as sending a text, writing a letter, making a phone call. Maybe you pick up something special for them at the grocery store. Just something small to let them know that you're thinking about them and you appreciate what they're doing. We've encouraged you to do this before and we're going to extend this challenge again. Go do it today. A little appreciation goes a long way.